If we expect to spend eternity in heaven, one of the things that we need to learn to do is repent. We need to have a repentant heart. A repentance is not a one-time action. You know, we often will say at the end of the sermon that we need to hear and believe and repent and confess. And, and some get the misconception that that's a, that's a one-time action that you do, but living a repentant life it is a constant thing. It is something that we do constantly. It's something that we must practice. See, repentance is it's turning away from sin and turning to God. A lot of people will think of it as turning 180 degrees. And that's right if we are turning 180 degrees away from that sin to God. That's what repentance is, turning to God. It's a change of mind that results in a change of conduct. It's not simply feeling sorry. A lot of people believe that repentance is feeling sorry or feeling sorrowful, but it's much more than that. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached to the Jews and they asked him when they were pierced to the heart, when they were pricked in their heart, they asked, what must we do? They were sorrowful, but Peter said to them that there was something else that they must do, that they were to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians verse 7 and 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See, this, this verse here tells us, it, it teaches that godly sorrow leads to repentance. It precedes repentance and, and it leads to it. And as a result, one's life is reformed. It's changed. You're changing an action. You once did this that was contrary to God's will, and you're changing and turning to God and saying, no longer am I going to do that. And it's going to bring forth fruits, bring forth fruit. See, the, 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 the lying will quit lying. The stealing will quit stealing. This is what it means to repent. And it's probably one of the most difficult things that God has asked us to do, repentance. It strikes at our pride, and it requires us to change, to make a change in our life. And as humans, we, we don't like change. J.W. McGarvey, who is a scholar or was a scholar in the church who did most of his, his preaching and teaching in the, the Lexington area, he said a couple of things that struck at me. He said one thing he said, but when you search for those who have repented under the Lord's preaching, you will find but few. And what he was talking about is that during his, his ministry, during his life, that, that he could teach someone the gospel and they would obey. But to go to someone who has obeyed the gospel and has walked away from the church, went back into the world, to get them to turn back, to repent of their sins, was much harder. He also said that the skillful general in invading a city directs his heaviest artillery against the strongest fortifications of his foes. And so it is the most difficult task of a preacher, of a Christian, of bringing men to repentance against that stronghold. He should direct his heaviest artillery. See, J.W. McGarvey says that uh, a preacher should take every single verse that he knows about turning uh, one's life back to God, about repentance, and he should use that, use that as his artillery to help those who have walked away from the Lord to come back. John the Baptist, of course, he preached a message of repentance during his time. And because of that, he was thrown into prison. If you recall in Mark chapter 6, 
uh, he went to Herod and told Herod because Herod had married his brother Philip's wife. He was in an, in an adulterous relationship. He should not have been married to her. And John the Baptist went and preached to her and told her, or excuse me, to him, to Herod, and told him that he needed to repent of that. He needed to get out of that relationship. It was unscriptural. It was not approved by God. And because of that, he was thrown into prison for preaching repentance. Ultimately, he was beheaded because of that. See, it is hard to change. And Jesus also, he preached repentance. One of those occasions is found in Luke 13, and that's where we're going to be this evening. In Luke 13, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. This is one of the occasions where, where Jesus preached repentance. And he says twice in these, in these verses, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So I want us to notice a couple of things here in these verses. Starting in Luke 13, verse 1. Now one, or excuse me, now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Friends, the first thing I want us to notice within these passages is that life is fragile. Life is fragile. Jesus is dealing with two apparently uh, apparent current events that, that are happening in the time of uh, in his time in Palestine, and the first involved Pilate. Right, we're going to learn much more about Pilate towards the end of Jesus' life, but he was vicious, he was violent, and apparently he had killed some Jews who were sacrificing, who were offering sacrifices in the temple, and he mixed their blood with those sacrifices. And then in the second incident he brings up is a tragic incident where a tower collapsed. just happens to collapse, and 18 individuals die because of that. And these are reminders for us from Jesus that we don't usually know when death will come. It can come without warning. See, in the manner of these deaths that occurred in these verses, they were sudden. Who expects to be murdered while offering worship to their God? No one. Who expects that rubble is going to collapse on someone and kill the individual? No one. But many then, and even today, contribute these events as divine punishment. Uh, we call it something else. In today's age, people refer to it as karma, right? That, that these individuals are getting what's coming to them. And that's what they believed here. But Jesus is telling them, no, no, that is not the reason. These, these things happen. And Jesus, it wasn't that they were worse sinners than the others who were in the land, but it's just these random facts, these random happenstance that life is fragile. You know, most of us, we don't wake up in the morning and think that this could be the last day of our lives. You know, there's a, there's a meme that I've seen, you know, you know, I guess I should explain what a meme is. You know, it's, it's a picture with maybe a quote on there that, 
You know, people like to share on Facebook or on some other social media site. And in this meme, it really struck me. And maybe you've seen this recently. But it said, if I had one day left to live, you know, I'd be eating junk food. I'd be going crazy. I'd be spending money. But then I realized, then it hit me that Jesus knew he had one day to live. And he washed feet. And that's true. In John chapter 13, the day before Jesus' death, he was washing the disciples' feet, but he was also doing many other things. He was praying for unity between, his belie- between the believers. He was comforting his disciples. He was even teaching about repentance. In Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 31, Jesus is explaining to Peter, Simon Peter, about what is going to take place, that he is going to betray him. And it says in verse 31 of chapter 22 of Luke, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Did you notice that? Jesus said, when you turn again, when you return to me, he says, that, that act of returning is repentance. Jesus says, when you repent, and this was on Peter alone, that he had to do this. When you repent, you, re- you turn back to me. You come back to me and then correct your wrongs before it's eternally too late. And then strengthen your brethren, he tells them. Strengthen them so that they won't go through the same uh, opportunity that he did. See, we all, you know, we, we don't have those same opportunities as Peter. Uh, Peter had the chance to repent, and he did. And we know that he went on to do great things in the Lord's church. But Jesus helps us appreciate the fleeting nature of this physical life. In James 4, verse 14, James wrote, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just the vapor that, vanish, that comes and vanishes and, and stays for a little while. Proverbs 27, verse 1, the Proverbs writer said, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Friends, life is fragile. We are reminded here in these passages that life is fragile. If we knew we had one day to live, if we knew that, would we not be begging everyone we know to turn to God? Would we not implore them to change, to turn back to him? Because life is fragile. Secondly, in in these passages, we notice that perishing is a possibility. Again, he he repeats himself twice. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know, it's not common to see uh, see scripture being repeated a couple of times. And that's Jesus telling us that this is important. This is, I need to grab your attention. You need to listen up. And Jesus' listeners appear troubled you know, they appear to be troubled by the deplorable actions of Pilate. That's what they're focusing on, the tragedy that they physically died. But notice Jesus is not concentrating on their physical death, but he is focused on their spiritual life, their failure to repent or not to repent. He makes no commentary on the evil of Pilate in these passages. He doesn't comment on the construction of the building and why it collapsed. But he indicates that those who fail to repent will ultimately perish. 
And this word that's translated perish uh, in Luke, it, we find it at least 27 times. And we see it described in a couple of different ways. In Luke 9, verses 24 and 25, it says, those who uh, will lose their soul. Right? That, that's what it means to, to perish. Again, Luke chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? If he loses his soul, if his soul perishes. It's the same word that we find in Luke chapter 15. The, the, the lost chapter, those three lost parables. Uh, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. You know, the son that was lost, he went out into that far country and he came back. He repented. He came back to his father. His father said, one, the thing that was once lost is now found. It was once lost. It was once perishing. That's the same word there. And, and Luke also uses it for the destruction uh, that Jesus says will come to the world in Luke chapter 17, verses 27 through 29. And they were, Jesus is describing this day, and he says, And they were eating, they were drinking, and they were marrying. They were being given in marriage until the day of Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on that day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus says it destroyed them all, that they perished. Again, the same word. And to perish is the equivalent of spiritual death. Jesus is not saying that if you do not repent, you're going to physically die, that you're going to be murdered by the government, such as those of the Galeans, or that a tower is going to fall on them. No, he is saying if you don't change your ways, the things that are contrary to God's teaching, you will lose your soul. It will perish See, God is holy and just. And we talked about this this morning, that our sins separate us from God. We all sin. We fall short. God cannot be near sin. He can't even look upon it. And because of that, we deserve death. We deserve spiritual death to perish because of our sins. But he loved us so much that he sent a son who took our place, the just for the unjust, that we can be reconciled to him by his blood. See, the unrepentant heart will cause one to perish. You know, we live today in, in violent times. Uh, we see of this thanks to technology more and more. Right? We, we open up uh, the internet or the newspaper and we see the times that we are living in. That it's, it's violent and, and things such as in Luke 13 that are being described as it's just another day. Right? The, the, these murders that took place of these worshipers of God or, or this tower falling on and 18 individuals dying. This is just another day in our new cycle. But Jesus, Jesus is urging us in these, in these verses to see the souls of the individuals, including our own soul. Realize that dying spiritually unprepared is the most tragic death of all. It, it's not the physical death, but the spiritual death. Perishing is a possibility. And finally, I want us to notice that God's patience 
is temporary. Look at verses 6 through 9 in Luke 13. Jesus is going to give them a parable to follow up what he had just taught them. Luke 13, verses 6 through 9. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. God's patience is temporary. So how does this parable that he just taught fit into what Jesus just taught in the first few verses? Well, this man that had a fig tree, this represents God. And the vineyard keeper, the gardener, is Jesus. And that fig tree is you and me. And the fruit that grows on that fig tree, that's to grow on us, is repentance. And they dug and they fertilized around that. And that's, that's divine teaching. That's, that's studying the word of God. See, God and Christ are watching to see if we will bear the fruit of repentance. The fig tree was planted for a specific purpose, to bear fruit. Fruit, it's a reference to our, our being, right? It's the, it's the result, the outcome, the product of our lives. Uh, we're being cultivated uh, of godly character based on righteous living, and the outcome of that is our fruit. Christians are to bear fruit. Right? Galatians 5, and 23 Paul over there tells us that we should have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? These are the things that the Christian should have in their lives. We're to have the fruit of righteousness, Paul said in Philippians 1.11. In Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says that when we offer praise, when we offer uh, prayer and song, we should give the, the fruit of our lips. See, and that's the outcome of, of, of the Christian. As he continues to grow and develop, he bears these fruit. And God is patient. Did you see that he didn't cut down the tree uh, before it matures? He didn't. He doesn't cut it down the first year that it didn't produce results. But instead, he demonstrated his great patience. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter here writes, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. See, God is patient. He is long-suffering, but there is a limit to his mercy. Again, notice he said he's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But that choice is up to us. Romans 2, verse 4, it says the goodness of God, the kindness of God leads one to repentance. And in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, it tells us that the fear of judgment should also lead one to repentance. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. 
See, God's goodness and the fear of judgment leads one to repentance. But there is a limit to God's patience. See, a barren fig tree is useless. A barren fig tree is a hindrance. It's going to take up space in the yard. It's going to take up the nutrients of the ground needed by those other fruit-bearing trees that are actually producing fruit. The landowner says it needs to be cut down. Jesus once rebuked in Matthew chapter 11, citizens of a certain city saying, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Why does Jesus say that? It's because those taught by Jesus had a greater opportunity for repentance than those in Sodom had been given. Right? Jesus was with them. He was teaching them. But nevertheless, they still rejected these opportunities. And we as well, we have been privileged to learn about the options Jesus gave us. Repent or perish. And if we fail to repent, we will be without excuse. We will be without excuse. The time is coming, and if we don't produce fruit, we will be cut down. Please know that God hates sin. God hates sin, but he wishes to give the sinner every opportunity to repent. He is patient. And Jesus reminds us in these passages that none of us knows how much time we have. And so we cannot delay. His desire is for all to be saved, to all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And his warning, his warning here in Luke 13 is an indication of his great love and concern for all of those. See, Jesus wasn't concerned about their physical well-being as those were in Luke 13, but he was concerned about their spiritual well-being. Have they repented? Are they ready for that day when they lose their life? See, life is fragile. Perishing is a possibility. And God's patience is temporary. You know, a lot of times when talking to individuals, they'll say, someday, you know, someday I'll come back to the Lord or someday I'll become a Christian, I'll repent. But friends... Someday is not on the calendar. It's not on the calendar, but it's today. Today is the day of salvation. This evening, if we can help anyone, help anyone to improve their lives, to come back to the Lord, to repent of sin, we would love that opportunity. Or maybe you're here tonight and you have not been baptized into the Lord. You have not had a chance to become a Christian. Again, we would love that opportunity to, to study with you, to read what the scriptures say about that process, that we need to hear the word of God, that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent, again, turn away from, from a life contrary to God's word and turn to him, that you are going to follow him and no one else. Confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. If we can help you in any way tonight, we'd ask that you come forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.